Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, we do our weekly political roundup with a focus on the trucker convoy and O'Toole being ousted. We'll cover that and more with former Toronto Star journalist Richard Brennan. As we head into the third year of the global pandemic, Ontario's nurses are barely holding on. How did they get there? What are we going to do about it? Canadian pandemic frustration may be running on high, but many Canadians don't side with the so-called truckers convoy. Oksana Kischuk with Abigail's Dad is going to join us to talk about their latest survey. And many have been critical of the Ottawa police for their lack of inaction during the protests. What should Toronto police be doing differently? It's all coming up with the Bill Kelly podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. As uh, we know, uh, the area around Queen's Park uh, is open right now. There are some road closures right down the street and, of course, on University Avenue. Uh, because they're concerned about the protest that apparently is heading their way. According to the flyers making the rounds, uh, this trucker convoy is going to make its way to downtown Toronto on Saturday. Global's Tina Trujani reports. Toronto police say they are aware of the planned convoy. As for their game plan, that hasn't been released. We do know there's some of those security barriers going in at Queen's Park and those heavy concrete flower pots are being moved. The convoy for Freedom Toronto plans to roll into Queen's Park Saturday at noon. But truckers and their supporters are being asked to meet at 10 at some area malls before taking to the highways at 11. The flyer, which appears on the Instagram page of official Fat Farm Car Meets, includes this message, fighting for freedom that never should have been taken away. On its page, it says it's important the movement doesn't lose steam and under no circumstances should violence be used when in Toronto. It says we do not want this to be used as ammunition against our movement. Be careful, be safe, be Canadian. Tina Trajani, Global News. All right, let's use that as the, uh, the starting point for our uh, weekly discussion uh, with our good friend Richard Brennan, former journalist with the Toronto Star, who, of course, covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill uh, for many years. Uh, Badger, great to have you back on the program. Hope you've uh, dug out from all the snow this week. Yes, I was up at uh, 3.30 this morning digging out. So. <laughs> <laughs> enough is enough. Uh, let's talk about what's going to be happening here. As I mentioned in my commentary on CHML just a little while ago, uh, the Premier's trying to straddle things here. I mean, you know, he's out, the other day he says, you know, I feel for these guys. I feel for them. I'm always on the trucker's side, but at the same time, he's pro-vaccination. Uh, and he's been basically quiet about what happened in the Ottawa situation. Well, it's coming right into his front lap right now. He's pretty much going to have to make a stand one way or another on this, isn't he? For sure. Uh, it really stuck in the craw of a lot of people I've been talking to when he was saying, yes, I, you know, I'm always got the back of the truckers and uh, God bless the truckers. Well, that might be, that might, you know, fit well with the ones that are vaccinated but uh, when he's saying God bless the truckers, uh, just think of the people in Ottawa that have to live with the din of noise uh, 24-7. So I'll tell you, he's uh, he's in for a rude awakening if they show up in, in, in Toronto. Because he's not gonna he's not going to be able to have uh, you know straddle the fence on this. It's gonna have to take a stand. And that stand will be what what are we gonna do to try and maintain peace when when these truckers all show up. So, well, and it, it's a statement. I mean, and you're right. I've heard the same kind of pushback about his statement about I'm always I've always been for the truckers. Which truckers, Mr. Premier? The ones that are vaccinated and working right now, as you and I are talking, or the ones that are are sending it up at Ottawa and pop. And, you know, we know that most of the protesters are not truckers. I mean, there are some there. Certainly, there are, but it's a minority of of the industry. So, what's the premier saying that he sides with the minority as opposed to the those who did get vaccinated? Well, that's what the conservative movement, just not him, 
but right across the country, you know, we have, uh, I think the premier of Saskatchewan saying he sides with the truckers. Well, they are a minority. Sure, they have complaints. They're, They're fed up like the rest of us with the pandemic. But you can't be catering and pandering to the minority. You have to think of what most people are doing. And most people in this case are getting vaccinated because they want to get this uh, pandemic over with. And and we've seen that kind of reaction. And and your point's well taken. I mean, Scott Moe in in Saskatchewan, of course, Jason Kenney in Alberta. I mean, first of all, they don't like Justin Trudeau. So if these guys are targeting Trudeau, you know, they're they're their best friends right now. And plus, those are the two premiers of all of the premiers that are across the province that were never crazy about COVID restrictions anyway. You know, it was their medical officers of health that kind of forced them into it, but they were the first ones to try to drop them. So, of course, they're going to do this. And, of course, they're going to cave in to this, just like the federal conservatives are doing. Pierre Polivet was with them. Candace Bergen, the interim leader right now, is is with the, the, the protesters. Uh, they're, they're trying to make a political statement here out of this situation. And I don't know who they're trying to appeal to right now, because, as you say, the citizens of Ottawa have had about enough. Uh, the national polling we've seen, and people like Angus Reid and others have done national polling, have said there's a growing number of people, it's already a majority, uh, that are saying enough is enough. And I said, get rid of the protesters. They're tired of this stuff. So what's what's the premier trying to do and who's he trying to cater to? Well, the premier, like I say, the premier and other conservatives, they have to pick a lane. Where are you yeah. going? What do you do? Like, who are you catering to here? Are you catering to a minority, a very vocal minority? Are you catering to the people that are doing the right thing, or at least trying to do the right thing. This, this, you know, this thing in Ottawa just is is out of control, as far as I'm concerned. Just not as politically, and and with the with the truckers, we got the conservatives, you know, supporting the truckers and saying, well, too bad, too bad you handle your your handle Ottawa residents. Too bad if you can't get a good night's sleep. You know, and you're, and everything's been disrupted in the city. Well, that's that's too bad because we're we're siding with the truckers. Like, are you kidding? Well, and here's the thing, and I know that uh, they've been asking the premier about it, and he's been pretty evasive. Uh, Lisa McLeod, who's of course the MPP for Ottawa in the Ford cabinet, uh, kind of laid out the government's position when she said, "Look, they're 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 protesting the the mandated vaccination program for truckers, and that that's a federal issue, so we're going to stay out of this." Well, they're doing more than that. I mean, you and I talked about the manifesto that these guys have presented. They're not just talking about the vaccination for truckers. They want all COVID restrictions gone immediately. Well, that falls right back into Doug Ford's lap because those are mostly 99% of these restrictions are provincially mandated. Well, I think the prime minister nailed it the other day when he said the uh, tinfoil hat gang. And and that the manifesto just reeks of that and, and, and you know, the American influence. He He's going to have to side with the people and that's the majority of the people that are doing the right thing. He can't he can't be siding with with a, a very vocal minority. And he hasn't been tested yet, as you said. So mm-hmm. find out what he has to say and how he's going to react when they show up in Toronto. You know, first of all, they've got they've got they should be trying to stop the truckers from even getting down there. We haven't even heard about that. You know, it, well, and you know how disruptive they can be. I mean, I'm, I'm sure as oh. I was watching the coverage of uh, the day that that uh, Aaron O'Toole got the boot, of course, from caucus. 
Uh, and of course, all our, our colleagues, the reporters, and you did this for many, many years too, are trying to chase these MPs as they're coming back into the House, trying to find out what's going on. We well, couldn't hear anything the politicians were saying because of the car horse, which is probably not a bad idea uh, to drown them out. But I mean, just on principle, that's it just. I was watching that for like half an hour, and I'm figuring, what about somebody who's living there and hears this all day and all night? Uh, no wonder they're at their wit's end. Well, you'd be angry. That's yeah. You'd be, you'd be angry at the truckers. You'd be angry at the politicians. And, and, and some people are being angry with the police as well because they don't think the police have done enough. You know, I would, I would argue that that's not the case, but that a lot of people feel strongly about that the police have not have not handled this in the way they should have to avoid this this kind of disruption that they're facing. Well, yeah, because people have to get their heads around that. You know, you don't want police going running into the crowd there with you know with batons waving and saying, "Okay, let's clear these guys out in fire hoses." Oh, God knows we've seen too much of that footage in the past. Uh, it's it's not the job of police service to be confrontational. And as uh, Defense Minister Anand said uh, yesterday, uh, when they, they were asked about whether the army should go in, she says, the army is not a police force. This is not what we do. Uh, Ottawa police are going to have to handle this. And, and basically, you know, uh, the, the mantra from police services right now is to control and contain. Uh, it's not to confront. Well, and, and, but that's that's a policy and you have to understand it. I mean, the, the police are damned if they do and damned if they don't. They can't go yeah. in there like the old days with billy clubs and busting heads. That's not going to work. You've got to got to go with the cool head and and, you know, arrest people when they, you know, it's a flagrant a violation of some sort. And, you know, and this suggestion, this suggestion that you call in the army, oh, come on, you, that's a bridge you don't want to cross. <laughs> I mean, you don't call in the army to, you know, put down what is basically an inconvenience. I mean, it is a severe inconvenience, but it, at the end of the day, it's an inconvenience. And you do not want to use soldiers to do that. I, I, I just, I find that laughable when people say call in the army all these guys want and boy you talk about playing into their hand the protesters and i'm talking about some of the the you know really bizarre folks that are up there uh and have been you know the professional protesters a number of them and we know that the same ones that were doing the anti-vax protests they would love nothing more than to have a photo op of, of some of them being dragged away by by you know by soldiers that that makes them martyrs, and that's only going to you know strengthen the cause and, and embolden them to do even more. And and thank God the federal government is aware of that, and I think Mayor Watson up in Ottawa is also aware of that too. That it's just not the right thing to do. Uh, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen in the Ottawa situation. I don't we don't know what's going to happen in Toronto this weekend. Uh, but the politicians are going to have to stop you know pandering to these guys and simply say, look, this is the way things are going to be. And uh, the majority of they, they've got to know that the majority of Canadians are, are behind them in, in situations like this. Yet we want to get vaccinated. We, we support mandatory vaccination in some circles. Uh, and we're getting more and more ticked off with people that are trying to fight this. Well, I'll be interested to see what uh, uh, Premier Ford has to say when we have protesters standing outside the, the hospital row on University Avenue in Toronto and harassing and haranguing healthcare workers because that's they're doing that in ottawa now mm -hmm. and you've got to bet, bet that's part of their plan for coming to toronto is to just to uh, verbally abuse and whatever you know 
people going in and out of the hospitals, including healthcare workers. What, what is it there? Is it, there's four hospitals, isn't there, within about the three or four block range of uh, oh, yeah, Queens Park? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. At least four. I, I may be missing one or two. Uh, and as you say, some of them are critical patients. I mean, you, you don't want to disrupt the, the work that goes on in those hospitals. Uh, and if they're going to protest at Queens Park, I got to imagine they're thinking of coming up University Avenue. I, I don't think you can allow that to happen. No, I, I, this is where I think a, this, uh, the police have to take a stand. It's one thing to go up to Queens Park. Go ahead, protest. I mean, it won't be the first protest that Queens Park has ever seen. Go ahead and protest. But if they start abusing the healthcare workers, that's the time to move in and make some arrests because that should not be tolerated after, you know, more than two years of going through this and these men and women having to work night and day trying to get people through this. I, I just I would find that so distasteful. Very quickly, I want to pivot quickly back to the feds because I got a couple of minutes left here, and I wanted to get your read on on what happened this week vis-a-vis uh, -vis Aaron O'Toole and, and and Candace Bergen as the interim leader. Uh, I don't think anybody was shocked that O'Toole got dumped uh, as unceremoniously as he had did. Uh, but if anybody was thinking this was going to be a chance for the conservatives to kind of reinvent themselves, uh, I'm not so sure that's going to happen either. Well, you just have, just have to look at uh, Candace Bergen wearing a MAGA hat a yeah. year ago. Well, that pretty tells you pretty well tells you where her politics are, and I mean anybody that covers the hill know that she's a right of Attila the Hun, and so we're, again, where are they going? Where you know are are they going to just appeal to the minority of Canadians and and just forget about ever governing? Because that's what they're doing right now. For conservatives, the position they have to be is right of center, and that's. You know, if they appeal to the majority of Canadians, they'll get back in. But if they just have these, you know, these outrageous demands and 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 ideas and tin pot, you know, uh, 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 ideas of whatever, people it people just will turn their nose up and say, "No, I don't, sub, uh, you know, ascribe to your kind of politics." And th that's where you know we don't want that in Canada. We don't want the liberals to be in forever we wouldn't, wouldn't want the conservatives to be in that you know we have a multi-party uh you know uh democracy here and but right now the way that the conservatives are going it just seems that they they don't know where what they want and what they want is not what the majority of canadians want yeah, that's going to be an ongoing discussion here, whether or not it's a split party or whether it is, because there are a number of other people, pundits, etc., that say they have already decided who they are and what they are. They're just you know, A lot of people are uncomfortable with it, so they don't really want to talk about it. But as you say, with the Candace Bergens and Pierre Polyev possibly as, as the long-term leader here and some of the other voices, uh, well, I think, I think they've defined themselves, and we'll have to see how Canadians are going to react to that. Uh, we got a split. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks as always for this, Badger. Uh, try to stay safe, and uh, we'll see how things happen in Queens Park. But have a great weekend. Yeah, you too, Bill. Thanks a lot. Take care, Richard Brennan. Of course, who covered Queens Park and Parliament Hill and a lot of these protests, of course, over the years, uh, with his take on what's going on. 
You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to bring you up to speed on what has become an ongoing problem for many, many years, not just months. Obviously, it's like so many other things. It's been exacerbated by the pandemic and the pressure it's put on. But we're talking about the uh, the, the plight of nurses here in the province of Ontario. Uh, earlier this week, uh, some representatives uh, met with the premier and tried to outline some of their concerns. Uh, to talk about this, we're so pleased to welcome to the program Morgan Harfath, who's the president of the Registered Nurse Association of Ontario. Morgan, a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. Uh, we just had Groundhog Day a couple of uh, days ago here, and you, you must feel like this is Groundhog Day for you. I don't know how many times uh, you're going to sit and talk to elected officials about the problems facing your industry right now, uh, because they're the same problems time and time and time again, and uh, there's not a whole lot being done by governments to try to address some of these things. Yeah, it it does feel like Groundhog Day sometimes. It's definitely not the first time that the Premier or other MPPs, whether they're um, from Conservative, Liberal, NDP, Green Party, we speak to all of them about what the concerns that are facing registered nurses and also patients in Ontario um, are. And we can we continue to bring forward the same concerns, which have been exacerbated by the pandemic. But these are concerns that we've been bringing forward since previous to the pandemic. And, and and by the way, this is what got to be part of the frustration. It seems every time you talk about this, Morgan, you basically get the same answer. You're right. It doesn't matter who's in government. Uh, okay, we're going to we're going to dedicate a lot more money to training nurses uh, so, because there are shortages. We know that Ontario actually has one of the lowest uh, ratios uh, in the country, and that's frustrating. But they're, they're missing the point here. Uh, why are people leaving the industry? It, and, and it's not just retirements. It's working conditions. It's salaries. It's it's that ratio of, of nurse to patient. Uh, I don't hear a whole lot of politicians talking about any of those issues. No, we regularly hear, you know, com- commit not actual commitments, but verbal commitments to increase the number of nurses that we have in Ontario by increasing enrollment in training in college and university. But until we actually address the things you spoke of, until we address workload, workplace safety, um, until we address compensation, we're not going to see nurses staying in nursing in Ontario or staying in the province. So it um, those are definitely things we need to address retention strategies, not just recruitment and training strategies. And you know what, we've had, this is variations on a theme, we've had these same discussions about uh, nurses who work in long-term care facilities and personal service workers too. Yeah, okay, we're going to train you, we're going to get you a job, and that's great. And about six, eight months later, or maybe a year later, a number of them are just saying, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. This is crazy. And they leave. Uh, So, I mean, what have you accomplished? Retention has to be the key here. And and I know one of the big points, and let's get to it, because I know it's the elephant in the room. Uh, is is the the basic uh, the bill that was passed by the government some time ago that basically says you're only going to get a one percent raise, uh, even though, for instance, as we know, inflation right now is at about four point eight percent. You're behind the eight ball right from the beginning here. Yeah, Bill one twenty four, which caps public sector salary in, increases to one percent a year, 
for uh, which includes nurses, includes personal support workers, um, everybody except for doctors who works in the healthcare environment really has been difficult for people during the pandemic, particularly recently with the increase in inflation, the increase in the cost of living. It really is impossible for people who are working, like even people who have full-time jobs to get ahead because they're not adequately compensated for the education that they have in the skills and essential services that they bring to the residents of Ontario. Here's a red flag, and you don't need to be a medical expert to understand this. A recent uh, survey that was done uh, for your organization or the organizations uh, found that 48% of nurses screened positive for mental illness. Uh, if that doesn't tell you there's a problem in the industry, I don't, I don't know what does. I mean, if you, if you have mental health issues, you're stressed out, there's a number of issues that are creating anxiety. Uh, how do you ha- offer proper care? How do you offer proper care to yourselves too? That, that right off the bat should be something that they should be addressing. Yeah, it's really difficult in healthcare right now. It's, um, we hear often, you know, this is what people signed up for. This is not what we signed up for. We signed up to be nurses, to care for people who need care, um, but not to be abused every day at work, not to be yelled at by or name called or bullied or by our residents, by our, like by our like visitors by patients who are who we're working with it's not for the unsafe workloads that nurses are expected to manage and working short every day that's not what anybody signed up for and that moral distress of not being able to provide the care the assessment the interventions that you know your patient needs to be well really takes a toll. It, it might be fine for one shift or two shifts, but this has been ongoing for months to years and we just can't take it anymore. The other element to this too, and you just touched on this about the verbal abuse that goes on. And I know we, we got reports of that happening, of course, in Ottawa with the, the protests that have been going on there for the last five or six days now uh, of some healthcare workers actually being hassled and, 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 you know, yelled at and intimidated, basically, uh, as they were going into work at some of those hospitals. But that's not an isolated incident, is it, Morgan? And we've heard this at other hospitals, too, when protests are set up right in front of a hospital. And and basically, you know, you and your staff have to run a gauntlet to get into work. And, and that's that's a great way to start off your shift, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, we do have the safe zone legislation that passed recently around not allowing this kind of intimidation and bullying to happen outside of healthcare workplaces. However, we also see that a lot of the, particularly right now in Toronto, the hospitals are saying, don't come to work dressed in your scrubs because you don't want to be identified as a healthcare worker. And that doesn't make people feel really safe when they're coming into work, knowing that they can't even wear their uniform, the clothes they have to wear while they're at work into their workplace because they might experience violence as a result of that. Well, uh, he says, uh, the premier that is, says he wants to do something for nurses. We'll take him at his word on that. Uh, But he also has to understand that, of course, this is not just about what's happening here with salary and those are all important issues and mental health issues. Uh, But if you help nurses, you're helping everybody in the healthcare system because at one time or another, all of us or somebody uh, among our loved ones is going to be impacted by this and maybe have to use one of these facilities. And you want to make sure that you're going to get optimum care. Uh, and if you want 
the best people to look after people. You've got to treat them properly so they're going to, A, perform as, as best they can, and secondly, uh, stick around for a while to make sure that they can do this. I, I wish you well on this, Morgan. It's a, a daunting task to try to get government to move on something like this, but uh, the best way, as you know from experience, is to just keep going at this and, and, and be consistent and be diligent about this, and we'll try to do the same thing at this end. Thank you so much. Yeah, just continuing with the advocacy and continuing to pressure where is a right to pressure for the appropriate changes to happen, not just for nurses, but for all Ontarians, like you said. Good luck, Morgan. I'm sure we'll talk again down the road. Thank you. Take care. Morgan Hoffa, who is the president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. And hopefully they can come to some resolution on that. It's it's frightening. And this is not a problem that's going to go away. Even if the pandemic ends tomorrow. Healthcare workers are still leaving because they can't handle the stress, and it's just not the right way for things to be. If you want to have one of the great healthcare systems in the world, you got to have proper staff and staff that are being treated properly. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, you've seen the counter protest in Ottawa uh, with the, a lot of the residents now with placards downtown saying, go home, go away, uh, we're tired of you. Uh, and it's reflective of some of the mood. But what is happening and how is this being viewed on a national level now that it's been happening over a period of a few days now. Well, our good friends at uh, Abacus Data have done some research on this and asked the Canadians how they're feeling about this. And uh, it's uh, very instructive uh, to look at some of these numbers and uh, to do that and to uh, sift through uh, all the data here. So pleased to welcome back to the program, Oksana Kischak, who is the Director of Strategy and Insights with Abacus Data. Uh, Oksana, great to have you back in the program. I hope you're okay these days. Long time no chat. Yeah, it's been a while. But this is, as we mentioned last time, this is ever-changing, and, and people's yes. moods can change in the space of 24 hours, depending on, on what's been going on right now, or the fact that it's going on, I guess, at all, is, is something that can add to the frustration for an awful lot of people. The overall picture here from, from the numbers I'm looking at here, Oksana, is that, uh, uh, well, there's a lot of frustration in the country right now, and not everybody thinks what these people in Ottawa are doing is the right th- thing to do or the right way to be doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely kind of the the main sort of line that we've found in in our data. We put a quick question into field. Um, I think it's good to sort of mention the days we were in field. So Monday to Wednesday this week. So kind of after the first initial weekend of the protest downtown here in Ottawa. And we asked whether people think they have a very little in common with uh, this group or a lot. And for the most part, the majority are saying that they have very little in common. Um, But a third do say that they do have a lot in common with the protesters. Yeah, the, well, the exact number, 68% uh, don't feel that they're they're on the same wavelength, and 32 say they have a lot in common, which is mm-hmm. interesting. And, and I've, I guess that's reflective of a lot of the stuff we've heard on this program and, and some of the other polls uh, on radio programs like this right across the country over the last four or five days. But you, do, you went one step further, which I thought was fascinating, uh, and looked at the politics behind this. And let's face it, there is politics behind this. Uh, mm-hmm. about the political parties that these people may be aligned with and or the political parties that the people that have an opinion on this might be aligned with. And that's that's a rather telling statistic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a definitely interesting break that we sort of looked at. And so we can see that um, kind of what is sort of in the media and people might expect to be um, kind of along political lines is what we're seeing. So um, those who are People's Party supporters saying um, they have a lot in common, most likely, um, and then conservative voters as well, as well as Green Party voters, Um, whereas liberals and NDP are more likely to say, no, I I don't have uh, much in common with these people at all. And uh, the reason I wanted to bring this up, and it's so relevant, is because we've seen some of the elected officials, especially in the Ottawa area, but especially in the federal arena, 
responding mm-hmm. to this and, and maybe responding to this data too. I mean, it's the old cliche in, in politics of playing you to the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the People's Party, you know, Maxime Bernier has been pretty vocal about his support for that. Eighty-two uh, percent of the people uh, that that we you talk to here, we're aligned with the People's Party. Are the uh, conservatives with forty-six percent, and we've seen Candace Bergen and Pierre Polyev and, and others uh, from the Conservative Party that have uh, basically been supportive of them. Uh, the Liberals and the the NDP, and as you say, the Bloc, uh, pretty high percentages of them that, that said this is the wrong thing to do. So mm-hmm. there's, uh, it's not uniting the country, isn't it? There seems to be a, a pretty strong divide here. No, definitely, definitely not a uniting event, that's for sure. Um, I think there's sort of that little split on, on political lines like we might see and and sort of, uh, I think a lot of protests are political in nature. And so this protest or this, uh, event is no different than, than a lot of others and that um, those who see alignment between the voters and the protesters are kind of taking advantage of it, while those that don't see alignment are also, I would say, taking advantage of it and then sort of arguing against the, the protesters. Uh, and even the political leaders, uh, they've all been dragged into this, although some, you know, not really crazy about the idea of having to do this. Uh, mm-hmm. I know there's been a lot of comments about uh, what happened uh, with, well, with the prime minister, uh, the fact that he has been consistent about this and said, I'm against this right from day one. He's had used some uh, rather unflattering comments about some of the people that are protesting right now. Uh, Aaron O'Toole, uh, of course, uh, tried, well, he did meet with them at all, and he was very supportive of this. He ended up losing his job. I'm, Sure, that mm-hmm. wasn't the only factor, but none of them, none of the political leaders scored that high, did they, with the, the way the public perceives they their handling of this? Yeah, yeah, I think um, that that's definitely true. We see kind of if people handled it well, and so um, 14% say Trudeau handled it well, 33% say as well as possible. Um, O'Toole only got 7% for handling it well, 34% handling it as well as possible. And Singh actually has some fairly high scores or highest scores, um, although most people say uh, hasn't done very well. 10% say that he handled it well and 44% say as well as possible. But I think this speaks to, again, kind of the, the divide that the event has really sort of showcased and and, and people's sort of um, uncertainty about, about what it means to handle the event well and, and what people really want to see come out of it and, and how, how it should end. And there's no political winner here, is there? No, no. I think that's that's also clear is that um, I mean, even among sort of conservative voters, where a lot of we've seen so many MPs out and about posting on Twitter about being part of the convoy, 46% of their voters say they have a lot in common, but 54% say they don't. So it's quite a, an even split among that party. So I think even there, there's a lot of questions and and sort of gray areas that a lot of uh, leaders and Canadians are kind of muddling in between. And it's not really swaying people, is it? I mean, if the purpose, of, uh, the stated purpose of, of any protest, not just this one, but any, uh, is to sway public opinion, it's it's not really working. People seem pretty entrenched in their positions, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I think that people are kind of um, either willing to align or, or not. I think um, as the protesters go on and as sort of methods change if, of their protests, if they do, I think that might sort of draw out people's decisions about where they stand a little bit more. Um, but I think the another sort of interesting thing about the question that we asked was we didn't necessarily ask whether or not they support or oppose the, the protest, but we asked whether they have a lot in common with these people. And so I think that goes along with a lot of their perceptions of, of what they think these people are are talking about, what media they're consuming to see what these people are saying, what flags they're holding, all of that kind of stuff. I think it's it's kind of dancing along that gray a little bit. Which is, I, is very instructive because I think it, it might be an indicator as to why people are responding in the fashion that they did. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, do you have something in common like this? Well, you could be fully vaccinated, 
uh, and yeah. I'm sure many people are, and simply say, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope with this stuff too. So I can mm-hmm. see their point. Well, that, that kind of puts you on their, in their camp, but you're not really because you're, you know, if, if the uh, the purposes and the undercurrent here is anti-vaccination, well, you disagree with that. So you've the question left a lot of scope here for people to talk about their feelings as opposed to, as you say, political affiliations or something. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's sort of, I mean, it's interesting, I think, to know about whether people support or oppose. But I think a question like this is also equally important because um, if you've seen coverage about the event, um, the issues and sort of the asks aren't necessarily always clear. Um, they're changing their different jurisdictions. And so to sort of see the frustration that these people have, maybe that's something that that 32% says is, is why they have a lot in common. Maybe it's not that, um, like you said, maybe they're vaccinated, um, but they, they want to go back to work. I mean, data was just released today about um, jobs numbers and we see um, unemployment has risen. So um, definitely that specific issue is something that Canadians could latch on to. Exactly. And and as you said, the longer this drags on, the, the more frustrating people are going to get. It'd be interesting to see if, in fact, anything uh, develops in Toronto this weekend, if that's going to have an opinion. I would assume it does have an impact on public opinion as to what's going on. Uh, it's it's always great to get the, the work that you guys do in here and, and to give us uh, some perspective. As I say, every one of these is a snapshot in time. And uh, mm-hmm. when you do the comparator, uh, there were some people that might have been ambivalent to this uh, last Friday. Uh, they've got an opinion on it now. So it's just, something's moving here, isn't it? Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, we'll be interested to see if if this goes on, make sure that we're tracking it and, and see how that's reflected in the public's opinion. Absolutely. Oksana, thanks so much for this as always. Have a good weekend, uh, hopefully a quiet weekend, and uh, we'll talk <laughs> again soon, I'm sure. Awesome. You too. Thanks so much. Take care. Oksana Kischak, who's the director of uh, strategy, strategy rather, and insights with Abacus Data. And it's always good to get a read on that. I, I know politicians and political parties uh, do polling all the time because they want to find out what's going on and get the public mood uh, an awful lot of the time it's so they can tap into that. And that's what some of the politicians clearly uh, have been doing on uh, Parliament Hill over the last couple of days is tapping in to, uh, to, the, to the politics of this. But the, the downside of that is you're really just playing to your base. And, and that's fine to solidify your base. But uh, especially for somebody like the Conservative Party, uh, I know that Pierre Polyev, who's been adamantly supportive of the convoy from the, the beginning, um, and he's out there all the time offering letters or support, as Candace Bergen has said, that, you know, they shouldn't really ask them to, to leave and let them do what they're doing. And there's been a lot of pushback on a national level from people saying, no, just you shouldn't be like that. And, uh, you know, that can have an impact on people's uh, political leanings when it comes to going to the ballot box. As we mentioned earlier in the program, too, uh, the fascination about this is if, in fact, this comes to, to Toronto this weekend, as we're anticipating that it's going to, that drags uh, Premier Doug Ford into this, too. He's tried to stay out of the Ottawa situation, even though Ottawa is part of the province and he's the premier. Uh, but when it happens in your own backyard, as it's anticipated it's going to happen, uh, you pretty much have to take a stand, either for it or against it. And we'll see how the premier responds. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Just a few moments ago, Ottawa Chief of Police uh, slowly uh, had a media conference where he was uh, talking about next steps and going forward. And there's going to be, a, a, I guess, a an allocation of more officers in some of the key areas there to try to maintain peace and order. But the Ottawa police have been under the gun and they've received a lot of criticism over the last week for their handling of this. A number of residents who are getting very, very frustrated with like this uh, because of the actions that have gone on. And we've heard some of the stories of intimidation and, and the horns, of course, that are going on all day. There are people who live down there, don't forget, uh, that are listening to these things 24 hours a day. And uh, they want action. They're saying the police should be doing a lot more than they're doing. And uh, 
I'm not sure it's warranted. There have been a number of editorials written about this over the last little while, about what they should be doing. Uh, there are others who are suggesting that they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing in the manner in which they're supposed to be doing it. To get some perspective on this, we're pleased to welcome to the program Dan Horner, uh, who is an associate professor and chair in the Department of Criminology at Ryerson University. Uh, professor, thank you for the time. It's great to have you on the show today. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm sure you've been following the uh, the pros and cons, shall we say, and an awful lot of opinions on social media about the way that Ottawa police have been responding to this. Give me a quick assessment on this, because uh, I've, I've even talked to law enforcement officials, uh, Professor, about this over the last five, six days, and, and I'm getting mixed ideas and, and mixed uh, opinions as to what they should be doing. What, what's your assessment on how police have handled what's gone on in Ottawa? Well, it's interesting because it shows that when it comes to protesting, uh, when it comes to uh, policing protest movements like this, um, the police have an enormous amount of discretion uh, on how, you know, to, to think strategically about how they want to use uh, their powers. Uh, and, uh, you know, th this idea, you know, early on in the protest uh, that uh, they would just sort of allow the protest to kind of unfold uh, was, you know, you could see sort of the strategic um, logic to that, that they didn't want to uh, create any conflicts or any, any you know, uh, let's say violence uh, by by moving in too quickly and trying to break things up right away. Uh, I think you have seen the level of public frustration grow uh, as these protests have kind of gone on throughout the week uh, that, it, you know, it is a lot for people to to um, to live with. So uh, it, it's again, it shows that interesting element of the police using their discretion. Uh, what what seems to be at the root of a lot of people who are who are um, taking issue with this uh, is the fact that um, justice doesn't seem to be be, uh, in some people's mind, doesn't seem to be um, being sort of doled out fairly when um, other protests have been broken up uh, much more quickly than this. And other very large-scale protests. You think about the G20 uh, protests in Toronto, yeah. which were uh, broken up by police uh, using mass arrests very quickly. So that does raise some issues about, are you know, are we seeing um, the law being applied equally to, uh, to different citizens? And, and I'm sure you've seen some of the comparators. I know I've certainly been... been... Uh, privy to hearing an awful lot of this stuff about, well, if this was a Black Lives Matter protest or if mm -hmm. this was a, a First Nations protest, boy, they'd sure be responding differently. Maybe they would. I, I don't know. But it, it, I guess there's so many variables here, though, aren't there, Professor? Yeah. I mean, uh, imminent threat, uh, you know, the, the attitude of the, the protesters themselves, uh, mm -hmm. you know, is, is their property damage? Is there, uh, you know, are people at risk? All these sorts of things. Uh, but I guess that's a really a, a, a thing that's going to have to be assessed almost on an hourly basis, if not a daily basis, isn't it? Exactly. And it's something that, uh, you know, we might only find out some of these details in the in the months or even years ahead about, um, you know, what do the what do the police know here? Um, and this is always a, always a tricky thing because there might not, you know, everybody's sort of weighing in with their opinions, but there might be information that we're not uh, privy to uh, that is, uh, you know, helping to lead to this idea of, again, sort of, um, you know, what some people might feel is an excessive focus on de-escalation uh, rather than uh, confrontation. I mean, what's really striking is that, um, you know, after those big protests on Saturday and Sunday, that, you know, the numbers are quite small. You're dealing with uh, a few hundred people there. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibility for the police to, you know, carry out sort of a, uh, you know, mass arrest here. But uh, but again, there might be things that uh, they might be thinking of things that you uh, based on information that we're not privy to about, uh, as you were saying, uh, the threat, uh, the threat of violence, the threat of, of escalation. So all those are, you know, probably shaping the the Ottawa Police Department's reaction to this. I'm sure you saw the piece in the Globe and Mail from Gary Mason, a political uh, columnist there, 
uh, saying that Ottawa police have delivered a masterclass on how not to handle a protest. I mean, that's the latest, I guess, in in a whole series of criticisms about this. And I, the obvious question here is what in in people's minds who feel that way, what should they be doing that they aren't doing in situations? Do they want confrontation? I mean, we've seen, I'm sure all of us have seen footage from years ago of, of civil rights protests and things like this. I mean, where police go rolling in there, you know, with the, the shields and the, and the clubs and the, you know, the water hoses, you know, the fire hoses. To, I don't think, and, and I'm, I'm dead set against what these people are doing on a philosophical level and even how they're doing it. But that's that would be an overreaction. And, and I don't know if that's what some people are asking for, but it certainly would have been the wrong move to take. I mean, I think what's I think what's happening now is uh, and you, you see the way that the, the nature of the conversation has shifted in the past, you know, in the uh, you know, since Monday, uh, where, you know, I think people what you're seeing now is sort of this bubbling up of frustration, um, you know, led by people who, as you were saying, are living this very unpleasant experience of, uh, you know, the horns and the and the noise and the idling trucks and stuff like that. So, um, you know, you're seeing that kind of that that sort of uh, their apprehensions kind of, I think, coming to dominate the conversation a little bit. Uh, but you're right. I mean, uh, when 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 police officers police officers uh, confront protesters, uh, things can get really violent very quickly and it could have ramifications down the line. Would you essentially sort of create, um, especially in the, the the narrative of these, uh, you know, of these groups who are organizing the protest, would you help them kind of create a narrative of, of you know, sort of victimhood and martyrdom uh, if the police kind of swooped in in that way? Um, you know, that could have sort of more uh, more long-term consequences. I think the ideal here um, was would be that the protest would kind of fizzle away. And, in you know, in terms of numbers, it has, but you're still seeing this group that is very, uh, that is very locked in. Last weekend, I guess, was a classic example of that because we heard stories uh, when the most, you know, the largest crowd was there, which I guess was last Saturday afternoon, hmm. uh, of, of things getting out of hand, uh, you know, of, of, of ordinary citizens being intimidated, of some of the protesters, well, certainly defacing the, the war memorial uh, and, and defecating on private property. I mean, it got pretty messy. And we thought, well, where are the police? And you heard those calls as I did. Uh, yeah. They did make arrests, but they did it the next day uh, upon investigation. Uh, and the rationalization for that was, well, if we'd done it right then, it probably would have made a bad situation even worse. And I think there's some merit to that. I mean, you, you don't want to poke the bear when the bear's running around like that, because that's the last thing you want to do. And, and you know darn well that if you did something like that and you were dragging some protester away, uh, that's going to be on social media within 10, ten seconds, and it's, exactly, it's going yeah. to go viral, and it's only going to embolden the protesters. Exactly, yeah, and and they can use those things to help uh, again to help kind of sharpen this narrative that uh, you know that uh, the Canadian government is out to get us and our 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 freedoms are are being taken away. Uh, this would kind of help them kind of create that story arc uh, instead of just you know um, you know the I, I mean I, I think the groups here are are the groups organizing this are running the risk that uh, if the you know if the protest kind of uh, fizzles away and we'll see what happens in in Toronto this weekend um, that it could start to uh, it could start to undermine their cause uh, that they are representing. You know, uh, protests always sort of need to uh, try and make the point that they have this, you know, not only do they have hundreds or thousands of people on the streets, but there's, there's this mass of people behind the scenes um, kind of uh, supporting them and, and you know, giving them legitimacy. Uh, and if, you know, if, you know, if your protest starts to uh, diminish in numbers and uh, starts to uh, frustrate the, the broader public, then you, you end up kind of not being able to, to make that argument. 
the other end of that coin, though, or the other side of that coin, I'm sorry, is, uh, is you know, if if you do nothing, does is does that s- set the stage for them to stay there as long as they darn well please? And they've already made that statement uh, that we're not budging, uh, you know, yeah. until all of our demands are met from their manifesto. Uh, and I've seen the, the 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 shots over the last couple of days here too. I'm sure you have of them. Actually, they're building huts and things like this. I mean, they they they're, they're setting up their own little community there. You know, with the money they got from the GoFundMe campaign, I said there were I don't know how many hundreds of uh, a propane tanks set up there for them to you know have heat and food and everything else uh, over the next little while. Uh, at some point. Uh, I understand there's there's political decisions involved in this too. And let's face it, I mean, police uh, don't set the policy; they carry out policies and laws. But on the other hand, it's going to fall on their laps to do something about this at some point, isn't there? It it re- it really is, and and that's becoming quite apparent now. That that I think that's that strategy of well, let's just let this thing kind of peter out on its own. Uh, I think that they are, and you know, we heard right from the beginning that they were going to sort of set up shop in Ottawa uh, until their demands were met. But um, you know, I, I think people sort of. We're, we're, weren't entirely taking that seriously. And now it's it's apparent that that really is their strategy to create this kind of occupation. I mean, it really does, uh, it really does, you know, bear all the markings of sort of a, uh, of, you know, an occupation of a, of a capital. Uh, and so um, I think what a lot of people are saying now is that, uh, you know, is that the Ottawa police and the authorities, uh, I know the Ottawa police are, are, you know, calling in the RCMP and stuff now, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, eventually the strategy is, is going to have to change and they are going to have to find a way to, um, you know, I think to, to, to bring this to, uh, to an end, because uh, you're, you're right, as, as, you, as you were saying at the outset, um, you know, public opinion really seems to be uh, turning in that, in that direction, that people want to see um, some decisive action uh, kind of, uh, you know, being, being taken here. And, and I suppose that can work to the advantage of, of the police and the politicians who are going to have to get involved in this as well. Uh, you know, we just had a, an advocate out of a poll that was released this morning. We just had some representatives from there on. A lot more people are more upset with the protesters than they were a week ago uh, because yeah. they've watched this thing drag on, which might kind of blunt uh, the anger if in police fact, I do have to move in here to say, well, it's about time as opposed to, hey, what do you guys think you're doing? Uh, I'm not so sure that's the entire motivation for this. Uh, but at some point, uh, I mean, they can't allow them to stay there indefinitely. They've got to do something about this. And uh, the, the hue and cry is going to be loud and long, I would think. And, and y- y- your point about Toronto, I think, is well taken here, Professor. It's bad enough that it's happening in Ottawa. Uh, if the Toronto people start to, to chirp in about this and say, look, now it's happening to us. What are you guys going to do about it? They're forcing government to get involved in this, aren't they? It's yeah, and it's very interesting. And to to go back to to public opinion as well. I mean, the the plan. So it seems apparent that the plan in Ottawa is to uh, the plan in Toronto. I'm sorry, is to uh, kind of set up shop in front of the legislature, which, as people who know Toronto know, uh, that's you know the a a lot a number of hospitals are are located there, and there's already been some chatter that you know that um, that uh, hospitals have asked their staff not to to uh, you know to to not you know be on the streets wearing their you know being identified as healthcare workers. And I think that will only sort of deepen that, uh, that, you know, that growing sense in the, uh, amongst the public that this has gone too far. Again, when you're setting up uh, these protesters against uh, doctors and nurses, uh, that might help swing public opinion even further uh, against the protesters. And we saw earlier back in, you know, uh, back at the end of last year, uh, those protests um, outside of, of hospitals uh, by sort of the, the, uh, the anti-vaccine crowd. Um, and those were, I mean, you know, uh, there was uh, a 
tremendous amount of public hostility towards those protests. So again, if we see things taking uh, taking that shape, uh, it'll only sort of deepen uh, the public sense that uh, that you know this needs to, this needs to draw to a close. You're right. The, the logistics of, of a protest at Queen's Park are, are different than they were uh, some time ago. I was just talking with one of our colleagues a few minutes ago about this, Professor, and I, I assume if they're going to go to the front lawn at Queen's Park, at some point they want to venture up University Avenue. And as you say, yeah. there are five or six hospitals within about a three-block range there, radius there. I can't see them allowing anything up there. As a matter of fact, I, would, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the order from Toronto Police is to close down University Avenue. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that that is that's very likely. Um, I think that, uh, again, I think the Ottawa police went into this um, sort of with the uh, with the idea that this would be, you know, that there'd be a big protest Saturday and that things would, you know, things would sort of, um, you know, uh, clear out um, mm-hmm. shortly thereafter. I think the the Toronto police have uh, kind of seen these things take shape, and I it seems pretty clear to me uh, that they uh, do not want a repeat of what's uh, happened in Ottawa to to begin happening in Toronto. So I think we will likely see a um, you know a, a stronger response at the outset from the from the Toronto police. It'll be interesting to see how they do that. Whether it's about closing streets, whether it's about um, arresting protesters, well, it'll be interesting to see the strategies that are used there. But I think it's pretty clear that um, they're going to try to everything in their power to uh, to stop a uh, a repeat of what happened in Ottawa. Well, exactly. And, and I know, you know, I don't know how many politicians have made this point and because it's, you know, you have the right to protest in this country. Absolutely yeah. you do. Uh, but when protest morphs into occupation, you got a problem. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this is, you know, this is, uh, this is just it. And I think that is, you know, what we'll, what we'll see, you know, I think if this was a, a question of uh, these people coming to Toronto and having a march or having a demonstration for a day uh, that uh, there would be uh, even amongst people who disagree with them uh, about their, about their, about the issues, uh, there would be sort of acceptance of, well, this is part of living in a democratic society that sometimes you get, you know, these are sort of, this is the noisy aspect of living in a democratic society. Uh, but I think as this takes on the hallmarks of an occupation, I think perhaps the organizers of these events have, have misjudged the public mood on on some of these things well uh, we we wish everybody well on this i mean you know the right to protest we get all that but uh, i just know the last time something got out of hand in toronto was the g20 some years ago and and the the toronto police handling of that uh, was not uh in the best interest of anybody involved and hopefully they've learned from that and i'm sure they're using that and that's in the back of their minds as they're planning their strategies let's see how this develops uh professor always a, a pleasure to have you on the show to give us some perspective on this thank you so much It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care. Professor Dan Horner uh, from the Department of Criminology at Ryerson University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.